information in this podcast is meant for the education of clinicians in rehabilitation. This is not meant for personal medical diagnosis and treatment, and individuals should always consult an appropriate medical practitioner. Hello, and welcome to the ANPT Vestibular Special Interest Group podcast discussion regarding telehealth. My name is Maureen Clancy, and I am joined today by Sarah Oxborough. Sarah received her Bachelor of Arts in Kinesiology and Master's Degree in Physical Therapy at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. She is the Clinic Program Director of the National Dizzy and Balance Center, where she has worked since 2007. She enjoys treating a wide range of vestibular disorders, especially concussion and vestibular migraine. Her clinic has been seeing patients via telehealth since 2017. Sarah received her competency certification from the Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia and American Physical Therapy Association in Vestibular Rehabilitation in 2009. In addition to her clinical practice, Sarah is a member of the leadership team of the Vestibular Special Interest Group through the ABTI. Sarah has presented both locally and nationally on various topics, including vestibular therapy and telehealth. So Sarah, the last time we had a discussion about telehealth was in December of 2018. And there's been a lot of changes that have occurred in telehealth since then, which is leading us to have bring up and discuss this topic again. Also, Sarah is part of the telehealth certificate series that has been produced through the ABTA and is available for people within the ABTA Learning Center. So Sarah, welcome. And can you tell us a little bit about the telehealth certificate series and in particular the vestibular elective? Yeah. So like you said, a lot has changed in the last few years since we last spoke. Um, And the pandemic kind of really accelerated the need for all physical therapists to get some training in telehealth. So the telehealth certificate series is really where uh, therapists can get the latest and greatest information You'll learn about ethics, you'll learn about regulations, implementation, latest research, and we now have a vestibular and neuroelective. So you need to take the six core courses, and then after that, you can kind of pick and choose your electives, of which there are six electives currently. They will be adding more electives from time to time based on need and and where there's gaps. Um, but right now there are, there is a vestibular and neuroelective out there that participants can take after the six core courses. So really, if you're doing telehealth, you should take this course. The APTA has done a great job pulling together experts who have been doing this for a long time, experts around the nation, um, all different settings to really develop a really, really great course. And I'm, I'm looking forward to people being able to take it. It sounds like a really great resource for people out there who are going to be practicing in this manner. Yeah. So to start us off, tell me a little bit about some vestibular diagnosis that you feel are appropriate to to treat through telehealth. Sure. And so, you know, pre-pandemic, we kind of limited what we were treating via telehealth. We worked with folks that were coming from far away. We wanted to offer high quality access you know, high quality vestibular care to those who weren't close to our clinics. The pandemic really kind of forced us to say, you know, some therapy is better than no therapy. So we started really seeing any diagnoses that we could to get patients seen. We had to get creative and try to treat as many patients as we could over telehealth. Uh, certainly those who are at a fall risk, we, we tried to ask to come into the clinic. 
we did see some patients with BPPV. It was kind of either do this or send them to urgent care, which nobody really wanted to do. That was still a pretty small percentage that we did treat for BPPV over telehealth, and we did have success, but currently that's probably a diagnosis that we really want patients to come into the clinic. So we have gone back to some of our pre-pandemic protocols, which include seeing those with, with BPPV, those at a fall risk, and those who need manual therapy in clinic. Um, the fall risk is something that we can work if, if patients have a caregiver at home and depending on their level of fall risk, that we can work with a little bit. But otherwise, we've kind of gone back to some of those, those uh, pre-pandemic protocols. Um, if, if balance is heavily involved or the cervical spine is heavily involved, uh, we'll, we'll think about that. But really, I, you know, vestibular therapy is typically pretty hands-off. So we've got a good patient population that we can see via telehealth. I feel like 3PD is a diagnosis that truly benefits from telehealth. These patients have a tough time driving to the clinic. And sometimes by the time they get here, they're so busy, we can't do a lot. So those are patients we might actually even push to telehealth versus in-person, especially when we're starting off. And same with vestibular migraines. One thing I've learned through the pandemic is it's nice to really see patients home set up and where they're doing exercises and modifying what we might give them at home based on their, their home setup and, and if their home setup is contributing to any of their current issues as well. So it sounds like there's definitely some areas that you may not want to treat through telehealth and then area, other areas that it sounds like it'd be probably beneficial to the patient to treat that way. So yeah. from like a screening standpoint, when you're, um, you get the referral for a patient to come in for an evaluation. Like, how do you, how are you making that determination? You know, do all your patients come in to see you for initial eval first, and then you screen them and figure out who's appropriate from there? Or do you do it before they even come in? Right now we're, so we, again, in the pandemic, we were seeing some patients for your evaluation through telehealth. And the only screening we were doing is asking about technology. So did they have a good, good and stable Wi-Fi? Do they have a device with a camera, a space at home that has a corner? We use a corner for safety purposes. That's free from clutter. And then do they have a hallway? So those are kind of our, our real basic minimum requirements. And then when we'd get on the session, we'd really have to kind of take it step by step. So we'd be a lot more cautious with our evaluation over telehealth than we were in person. So like, for example, I might just make sure they could even go sit to stand uh, safely before I'd even think about testing any standing static balance. Or here, I'm kind of going right into my traditional testing measures. Uh, I might only do a four item DGI over telehealth eval, or here I'd do a, in my clinic, I'd do a full DGI. Currently though, we're kind of back to our model where we really want them to come in for an in-person evaluation. So at our clinic in the Twin Cities, we do see people from all over the Midwest uh, and we, we encourage them to come in for their evaluation and then set them up for telehealth or for a hybrid model. So we're not really doing any formal screening ahead of time at the current moment. Okay, so you're mostly seeing patients you know, in person first, and then just determining from there who's appropriate or would yeah. benefit from treating through health telehealth. Definitely. So do you have patients who um, are, you know, because they may be feeling well and not well and traveling a distance, are some of them reluctant to come in to the clinic for an evaluation? And then do you, you know, find like any barriers to, to using that hybrid model? 
You know, I don't think we find any barriers. Um, I think, you know, one funny kind of barrier we see now is asking patients, you know, if their symptoms are affected by busy areas or stores or things like that. And people, they're getting back to it now, but, you know, it was kind of funny asking about that or patients would say, I, I filled out your busyness handicap inventory and it uh, told me about being in a busy area and I don't really do that. Um, but that hasn't been a barrier as much recently, I think. Um, I think there are some patients last summer and in the fall that we felt should come in and we're missing out on some things over telehealth, but ultimately we still were able to accomplish our goals. Um, I think telehealth is a good replacement and we achieved success. Maybe it's not as good as in person, but currently we're not really having people too reluctant to come in. We do have folks that will drive a couple hours to at least come to the visit, especially if we tell them ahead of time, hey, if you can come for one visit, we can get really good information. You know, then your rest of your visits, you won't have to leave your home for. And that lures them at least to come to that one visit. Right, so then they can have the rest of it in like the comfort and privacy of their own home. Yeah. Okay. So it sounds like it's, you know, you're doing this initial subjective and objective and assessment and plan in person. So then when you go to see them, for subsequent visits at home, what kind of resources have you found to be useful in either, you know, reassessing them through the objective portion or performing any sort of testing? Yeah, so this is a, an area we touched on quite a bit in the vestibular elective where we have really good examples in there. You'll see a few different case studies of patients that have been treated over telehealth. So I think that will answer a lot of those questions. Um, but resource that I've found to be really helpful. Like I mentioned before, the 4-item DGI I think is great. It's a little bit hard to get HD to know if they're really walking 20 feet, but certainly you can uh, check all four items there. I like sit to stand. That's an easy one. I know my patients are going to be safe doing that. Uh, and I feel comfortable doing that over telehealth. I don't do this often anymore, but again, during the peak of the pandemic, I was doing the modified sit-sib with a pillow and just calling it the modified, modified sit-sib, so at least we're getting some information on use of visual and vestibular cues and balance. Um, not with everybody, but if they had somebody present, uh, they had a corner that they could stand on. I think the MSQ works really well because you're mostly sitting down and you're just trying to see, you know, what makes them dizzy or about their symptoms. We found a way to do the DBA, but that really relies on us watching a person's head movement and judging if they're keeping up to the metronome speed. So again, something I'd prefer to do in person, but we got some information when we needed to. Um, so those are kind of the outcome measures. And then your subjective scales are just really great to use. Those we probably would do a few more of than when we were in person, just so we had some good data to back up what we were doing should we need that for insurance reimbursement or for any kind of future research things that might come out of what we have been doing. Mm -hmm. uh, in the course, we talk a little bit about ocular motor exam and how you can do that over telehealth, um, which is actually pretty easy and important to do so that you're ruling out any red flags. I think that's a very important thing is if you're the first person to see them and it's the evaluation we need to really rule out any red flags or central signs. So ocular motor exam actually works pretty well over telehealth. Um, head thrust, that's 
head impulse test. That's a hard one to do. I kind of tried, um, but we've sort of just done a VOR, just low head movement. And then again, during the pandemic, we did see and treat some people for BPPV. And I tried instead to do a more of a sideline test. I felt a little safer with patients doing that. But if we did do full on hull pikes, we had additional people there to help. And I go through a case study in the vestibular elective about treating BPPV via telehealth. That sounds very interesting. Yeah. And I could definitely agree, would definitely feel more comfortable using the sideline test because, you know, they're pretty safe. Their head isn't yeah. hanging off the bed. So, yeah. Right. So is there any, I mean, that kind of touches on some of the treatment aspect too, but is there any treatments that you feel are appropriate or not appropriate to treat through telehealth? I don't really, you know, I it was kind of iffy doing that. CRMs over telehealth during the peak of the pandemic. So that's not something I would much prefer a patient to come in. You know, if they can't access a skilled therapist, maybe, but you know, things can go wrong where patients can have nausea and vomiting, patients can um, have adverse responses, or I'm sure we've all had the situation where a patient sits up and they feel like the world is flipping on them and then you have to be there to catch them. And that's not just, that's just not something I feel comfortable with or want to be liable for. So most physical therapists know how to do basic BPPV testing and treatment. So all patients should generally have access to that. So we, that's something we're really not doing anymore. Um, beyond that, you know, I don't think that there's much else that's really not appropriate. Um, a lot of our cervical patients were having come back into the clinic and that's working out just fine. Sometimes it's hard to do, we like to do YouTube videos and things like that with patients and that gets sometimes a little bit tricky over telehealth, depending on what device they're using. We like to do a little bit of a bigger screen in person here. Um, but beyond that, I can't think of much else that's really not, not appropriate. Which I think is like a good thing to think of that you can adequately treat a lot of these patients in an appropriate manner through yeah. telehealth medium, so. Yeah, can, yeah. So we all know that telehealth has greatly expanded in the past, like 12 to 18 months. So what research is out there? What research is being done to help to support the effectiveness of this avenue? And then also to share with patients and third party stakeholders yeah. that might be not sure about using telehealth for vestibular rehab. Uh, and I kind of keep referring to this, but the, the course series really has some good updated research and a lot of good information. The orthopedic world has kind of led the way in research in telehealth. Even before the pandemic, there was great information about total knee uh, rehab and how effective that was. Uh, on the course, they talk about actually improved outcomes for people that had a hybrid model when it came to rotator cuff and post-rotator cuff repair. So that's kind of interesting. As far as vestibular research, there's not a lot out there there was a recent case study done on BPPV. So that's kind of interesting, just a case study. Uh, there's a January 2021 study that proposed uh, teleconsultation and teletreatment protocol to manage BPPV during the pandemic. Uh, and pretty soon there are studies coming out that are showing patient satisfaction. That's really kind of where the studies are now, where patients satisfied, where therapists satisfied with telehealth. Uh, the studies coming out are showing that patient satisfaction is high. Uh, companies are supportive of using telehealth, which is really great. Um, 
there's a study that just kind of interesting to show you where things are headed. Insurance companies are starting to buy up um, telehealth platforms and companies that are doing telehealth. So that just kind of speaks to where telehealth is going. And there's one study um, in the certificate series that shows that the global telehealth market is slated to change from $61 billion to $519 billion just in the span of eight years. So starting in 2019 to 2027. And I think that, well, it's not research, it's just really interesting to show how the market's changing and speaks to that telehealth is here to stay and we really need to keep up on best practices. So hopefully in the next the next year we'll start to see more research coming out. I think at CSM this year, that's where we're going to see some some research and some posters. Yes, and I I would agree because I think a lot of people switch to the platform pretty quickly to try mm -hmm. to capture and treat those patients that weren't able to be treated in person. Yeah. It's very interesting what you said about the that their you know the market has increased so much in such a short period of time and I, I mean I feel that telehealth was getting stronger and more people were recognizing it more before the pandemic but I think the pandemic just really sped things up it in such really did. yeah I mean even at our clinic we've been doing it <coughs> uh, since 2017 but it was I don't know maybe three or four patients a month and it's you know really accelerated it and it, it's exciting for so many different reasons so I'm excited that I guess we get to do more telehealth, not about the pandemic, but um, I think it's, since we had to move so rapidly, we had to learn so quickly, and it's really made this treatment that much more effective in such a short amount of time, and the studies should follow and show that that's the case. Right. Yeah, this is a case where like the studies definitely have to follow after you did it, not before. Yeah, so. pretty much. Yep. Yeah. So are there any specific laws regarding telehealth that, you know, providers should be aware of? I think, you know, there's so much changing right now. I think that's the biggest thing to be aware of is how much is changing. And there's really great websites out there that are on top of that. Um, the, you know, kind of the biggest thing to just be aware of is your state practice act that 27 states have language in their practice act, but the rest of them don't. A lot of states are silent. So make sure you review before you're treating, especially if you hold licenses in multiple states, you have to abide by that state's practice act. Uh, you have to be, I think we all know this by now, but you have to be licensed in the state the patient is in. So if your patient leaves and goes on vacation, you cannot see them and that's pretty important. Um, so really making sure you verify where the patient is when you start your treatment session, both for licensure, but also for safety, so that if something were to happen, um, you would know that they're at their home and this is the closest hospital or emergency place that you could contact um, should an emergency arise. And just, again, knowing things are changing during COVID-19, there's emergency changes made to practice acts and to reimbursements. Um, and if you know, the kind of the best resource I think right now is just being involved with your state chapter on what's going on with telehealth. A lot of state chapters on their website have information now to help guide therapists. One website that I really like and have been using for years is um, cchp.org, uh, Center for Connected Health Policy, and they really keep things fresh and new information. They send out weekly emails about what's going on with state legislatures. There's a lot of things, a lot of bills being introduced in Congress 
that I think will expand telehealth and shore payment, um, but ultimately just making sure you're on top of all the changes that are coming because they are things are changing. Yeah, things are changing rapidly. Yeah. So have to kind of stay on top of that for sure. Mm -hmm. So are there any other pearls or like wisdom since you've been doing this before the pandemic and through the pandemic that you would like to share with the listeners about best practices or any areas that we didn't touch upon yet? Yeah, I think um, getting on, you know, just to speak a little bit more to the last two, getting on that website, one little pearl that I never really thought about that was really helpful during this pandemic was Twitter. There's a lot of people who do telehealth on there and post um, the latest and greatest changes when it comes to reimbursement. You know, that's where I actually found out when Medicare finally allowed PTs to be an added um, practitioner. So I think that's just another little pearl is even if it's not a normal website, Twitter is a great place to find out more information to keep up to date. You know, telehealth, it's here to stay now. And I think in the world of vestibular therapy, it works so well since we are so hands-off. So if you're not already doing it, there's a lot of good things that telehealth can offer. It can save cancellations. Um, we here in Minnesota have dealt, you know, with snowstorms. Now it almost seems like we're gonna be dealing with heat waves. Patients might need to stay in their home for that reason. Um, so we've really adopted this new model where telehealth is it's not really, we're doing it more often. We're offering it to patients where when a patient comes in for their first visit, we actually explain it right off the bat. So if they feel ill, we can change their visit to a telehealth. If they aren't able to make it because they've gone up north to their cabin, we can switch that to a telehealth. So I think there's a lot of ways you can use it to advance uh, practice, to advance your business model. Um, we need, you know, we want to also make sure we're practicing evidence-based medicine over telehealth as well as in person. So we need to make an accurate diagnosis. Um, with telehealth, we're really relying on our clinical expertise for evidence-based medicine and patient values. And although there's evidence, there's not a lot right now. So we're really relying on clinical expertise. So I think as a, a newer clinician, you've got to get really good at what you're doing in the clinic before you jump in and see somebody over telehealth, because that's the only way to practice evidence-based medicine is rely on your clinical expertise. And so we have all that research to kind of back up what some of us have now been doing since the pandemic or for three or four years. Uh, but I think it's, it's great that we can offer this to our patients, that we can offer access to vestibular therapists, no matter where a person lives. Um, and it'll be great to see the research kind of catch up to that soon. That's very true. I also think it's important to make sure just from a logistical standpoint that you're on like a secure platform so that it's like HIPAA compliant. So people, you know, aren't gonna have trouble in that regard. I think some of that was waived a little bit during the pandemic, yeah. but I still think it's important to keep that in mind. It was, and I'm guessing it's going to go back to, yes. It, you know, there's really great free platforms out there. We use docu.me, um, which is a great platform. Um, but yes, during the pandemic, they did wave it, but I would anticipate soon that that's not going to be the case. Right. I agree. And I think it's important for people to keep in mind. Um, so I think in, you know, in summary, I think it'd be great 
resource for people to go to the, you know, ABTA Learning Center, the telehealth certificate series, take the whole thing. And in particular, if you're very interested in vestibular rehab and using that platform to definitely seek out that elective, because that will give them the best information as to the best practices that are employed currently, correct? Yeah, I think that's great. And another thing to kind of stay tuned for is the ANTT has put together a telehealth task force um, of which I'm a part of, and we will be starting to uh, put together resources for clinicians. So a list of helpful websites and maybe doing some little webinars and things like that. So to stay tuned soon as well for a dedicated uh, web page version of things we've been working on. And I think that'll be helpful to keep things up to date on what's going on, especially as it relates to vestibular rehab and, and neural rehab. Oh, that sounds great. Well, thank you, Sarah. Thanks for taking your time and discussing this important topic with me today. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for listening to this interview, which has been brought to you by the Vestibular Special Interest Group of the Academy of Neurologic Physical Therapy. For more information on the vestibular SIG and the ANPT, please visit www.neuropt.org. Thank you.